We're going to pick up just where we left off with that um, prophecy of Zechariah, which is modified a bit by a prophecy from Zephaniah, and an allusion to a text in Genesis 49, which is about Judah uh, tying his donkey to a vineyard, you know, to a vine, because the vines are so plentiful you can hook up your donkey to one. Um, now, this is prophecy. In other words, this prophet, the first one here, Zechariah, knows that when the king comes, okay, your king comes, he will be seated not on a great um, warrior horse, but on a donkey. He'll be humble, you see. Now, very significantly, the next text says, you see, um, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered. Does that remind you of something? What does it say that the Holy Spirit is going to do? He will bring to your mind everything I ever told you. John 14, right? In other words, you will be, there will be many of these, particularly in the Passion narrative, but we've already had one, if you remember, back in chapter 2, when Jesus cleansed the temple and his disciples remembered zeal for your house and instead of saying consumes me, he said will consume me. They changed that because they see that that zeal for the house is the zeal that will drive Jesus throughout his whole life right to the cross. And so now they remember with the help of the Holy Spirit. The text you want to look at if you want to study that is John 14, 26. He will bring to your mind everything I've said, everything I've done. What does that mean for us? See, that work of the Holy Spirit still goes on. In other words, I could tell you that Jesus mounted this donkey. He went in as the humble king, the uh, irresistible king, despite his humility. Uh, but if that's going to impact you so that you see who he really is and, and, and understand him, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. I can't do that. I can only tell you that when it says here, they remembered, that means the Holy Spirit showed them that and they've recorded it for us. But if you want to experience the link between that prophecy of a humble king and Jesus coming into his passion, You've got to go ask the Holy Spirit to help you. He's the one who makes that a remembering function in your heart as well, and not just in the disciples, who have been good enough to put it down for us so we can make the connection, okay? Um, the crowd kept on testifying, as our text says, you see, um, about him. You see, uh, and about the one with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead. Because of this, the crowd went out to meet him. Do you see now our Lord's plan? <coughs> he said, if you remember, uh, this is for the glory 
this uh, death of Lazarus. I'm glad I wasn't there. <clears throat> Why? Because <clears throat> Jesus, before his passion, shows his disciples and us that he is Lord of life and death. They needn't have feared when he died. Of course, they did. But uh, they didn't need to, you see. And so, uh, now, he's confirming that. Uh, all right. They're all going out to see Lazarus. Because of this, the crowd went out to meet him <coughs> because they, they heard he had performed this sign. Then, once again, the opposition, the Pharisees, said to one another, You see, we are accomplishing nothing. Look, the whole world is going out uh, to follow him, going out after him. So this entrance of Jesus into the city, the sacred city, as a king and as a messianic king, ends with this final hardening of the opposition. We can't do anything. We've got to kill him. We've got to kill Lazarus. You know, this can't go on. Okay. Now, we're in the third section of this chapter 12, and it is a turning point. Huh? Uh, there were some Greeks among those going up. Now, to go up, you always go up to the Holy Land, wherever you are. And you always go up to Jerusalem, even when you're in the Holy Land. Now, it doesn't mean that Israel is the highest point in the world, geographically or physically, but spiritually. To this day, for instance, when Jews who want to go to Israel to live they come in as citizens automatically on the right of Aliyah, on the right of going up. You see, you go up. And so, uh, there were some Greeks among those going up that they might worship at the feast. You see, these went to Philip. They probably went to Philip because he had a Greek name. He was from the north. He probably knew some Greek because they probably didn't know much Hebrew or Aramaic. So they went to Philip, because he was from Galilee. And they made a request of him, saying, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Now, what do you think that means? Kyrie Tholomen Tohisun Si Idin. What do you think that means? probably an allusion to a text um, in Isaiah just before it's the introduction to the servant song. The servant song, maybe I'll read it a little bit. Well, see, this is an English text and it translates a Hebrew text, but the allusion, I hate to get so complicated, but the allusion is to the Greek text uh, more than to the Hebrew text. But you can get the idea even from this one. Um, so, I'll look at me going right by it. Um, okay. See, my servant shall prosper. You see, 
and so so shall he startle many nations. For those who have not been told shall see, and those who have not heard shall ponder. In the Greek text, in there, there's an allusion to what they haven't seen, they will see. Uh, you might find that subtle, but you know, when people know these texts so well, they and that's why reading it over again, even for ourselves, personally, I can remember when I started my studies, and I'd be reading, and they say, this is an allusion to a text in Isaiah or something, and then the bottom of the page, a whole list of numbers. And I thought, who is that going to look all these numbers up? You know, why did they tell us this? Well, at the other end of my life, I look at those numbers and I know already what they say because I'm familiar now. Now I understand the role of illusion. But it takes a little while. But happily, see, the commentaries help us with that. Okay. Uh, so Philip went and spoke to Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and spoke to Jesus. Jesus answered, Now this is the turning point of the gospel. When outside Judaism, people want to see Jesus, that means the plan of the Father is going to take place. From Jerusalem will go out the word of the Lord <clears throat> to the whole world. And that word will be the death and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah, the living, eternal Son of God. And that's why that uh, when they come and say, these Greeks want to see you, Jesus says, the hour has come. Finally, the hour has come. You know how many times in this text we've had the hour has not come. It was not his hour yet, huh? Finally, when? When the Gentiles want to see him. Now, the hour has come that the Son of Man be glorified. Now, he begins to tell us about this glorification. And it's very mysterious. You would think now, and so when I mount my throne and all the world recognizes, that's not what he says, is it? He says, unless the grain of wheat falling into the ground die, it remains alone. But if it die, it bears much fruit. That's the rhythm of my life. I am going to glorify the Father, you see, uh, by dying. And so now that the Greeks have come, I know that the hour has arrived. So he starts to talk about it, you see. Um, the one, and he goes on with another text, which is um, a theme you find in uh, the synoptics as well. The one loving his life loses it. And by, the only thing on my mind is life. Now, as the commentators point out, the Greek word there is not zoe, the word for life. It's the word uh, for soul, if you will. Uh, you see, his psyche. But now the soul of a man in Semitic anthropology is the whole inner personality. You see, uh, it's the whole reality of the person expressed through the body. So when he says, you see, the one loving his life, his soul, his personality, his life, his money, his friends, his, pour it all out. You see, the one loving his life loses it. And the one hating his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And hate there, as you know, means um, 
choose something other than that. See, uh, Isaac I've loved, Esau I've hated. doesn't mean he hates Esau. It means I've preferred Isaac. So here, you see, the one uh, who does not put his existence, his personality, his life, his pleasure, his money, his reputation, his whatever, if he doesn't put that first, he'll keep his very existence for eternal life. And that's what he's saying. If anyone would serve me, let him follow me. Now these are all texts you can find in another form in the Synoptic Gospels. It's the same mystery of the great reversal. The Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. They're the ones that's going to inherit the earth, you see. Blessed is the one who gives his life for me. He will live forever. The great reversal. Those who hang on to their life and pay millions of dollars to prolong it for another three hours, they've lost it. You see? And so, uh, if anyone would serve me, let him follow me. No, follow just doesn't mean I'm right behind you, Jesus. It means walk in my footsteps. Do what I do. Live like I live. You see? Uh, and so where I am, my servant will be as well. And then this promise, see? If anyone will serve me, my Father will honor them. So you see, if you want to serve Jesus, serve him in serving your family, serve him even in the people at work, serve him, give your life for him, then uh, you will be honored by my Father. There's a lovely song about this, you know, for me I will press on and so forth. I forgot the rest of the words. But uh, finally the Father gets off his throne and embraces us. Huh? Welcome. That's worth it. Isn't that worth it? You see? Or as St. Therese says, when I die, the Father is going to go to, she has the same, maybe they got the theme from her, the Father's going to get off his throne and uh, hug me. That's worth it. Gets tiring after a while, but this is a solemn promise from the Son of God. Amen.